morning. Ah, okay. I think Pastor Tom forgot to see if we had anyone that is here for the very, 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 very first time. So if you are, would you just please raise your hand? And, uh, uh, or do we just have veterans here today? We do have some. Welcome. Nice to have you with us. Alex is going to give you a special bulletin that actually has something that you can fill out. And if you take that to the cafe right after the service, they'll give you a free meal for both of you. So it's a blessing to have you with us today. I can tell you the food is good, too. So hope you enjoy. Welcome. Nolan and Marie Shockey, who have a ministry in what is called Servant Senders, a ministry that deals with training leadership for the church there in Juarez, have had and made some great inroads in spite of all that has been going on in the last few years there in Juarez, but uh, have made inroads with uh, the police and the military and the fire department. And uh, I wanted them to kind of give us an update and Nolan spoke last night, but I understand he has a, a tickle in his throat. So Marie's going to come up and uh, share a little bit about what's going on in Juarez. So would you please welcome Marie Shockey. All right. <laughs> Good morning. Um, the biggest thing that we really wanted to share with you is how prayer changes things. Um, you know, missionaries always need to have that kind of a backing from their home church and from other churches that are willing to surround them and pray for them. And we just want you to know that your prayers are effective. We want you to know that we are in places that are normally not allowed, especially in Mexico. They don't allow people in the police departments or in the fire stations, but yet God has opened those doors. It's only by his grace and his mercy that we're in there. There's 2,500 police, men and women, were in every station three times a week, twice a day, praying for them. They have learned to trust us, to depend on us. On the days that we're not there when someone's killed, as it happened this last week while we were in vacation Bible school, four police were killed. As soon as our guys went there on their normal days, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, they were asked, where were you? This is what happened. This is what happened. They've begun to um, depend on us to help them with moral issues. They ask, how should we treat this person? What should we do in this situation? Um, you see, they don't have that kind of a standard. But yet God is putting that in there through these men that we're raising up, through these men that you are praying for and that thousands of others are praying for. This last week, one of the lady policemen was asked to do something illegal. She refused to do so. She's a Christian. She knows we're praying for her. So she had to go before a whole board of authorities over her to answer why she wouldn't listen to that commander and do what he told her to do. We sent out an email and asked everyone we could think of to pray for her. When she went in before them, she was cleared for that um, offense and, and let go of that. Most recently, two of our men have said, you don't understand. Their commandants of those stations have come to them and said, we don't know what to do because those authorities over us are the ones that are telling us to do these things. You see, Satan uses fear and corruption, and he uses it to intimidate us. He uses it to control us, and we've got to break that bond. And the only way we can do that is through Christ, because God is a God of love and power and a sound mind. And if we love our brothers and if we love others, then that bond is going to be broken, and it's broken through prayer. And it's because of that that God has allowed us in places. Also, the police chief was told, you know what these guys are doing in here is not legal, by one of the men that, of course, doesn't know the Lord and doesn't want to. The police chief told him there's no higher law than that of God's. They stay. But you see, the whole administration will change in December. And when it changes, oftentimes all the people in charge also get shuffled around and changed. So we would ask you to please be praying for us. Pray for God's favor. Pray for those Christians that are within those departments that are starting to raise up. 
them uh, that are starting to have boldness, starting to speak out more about their faith. We're in all nine fire stations, by the grace of God. The EMTs, the secretaries, they all come out now and line up for formation to hear the message that we're giving. We don't get a lot of time, but you wouldn't believe how many people will bow their heads and pray and ask Christ in their heart. It's amazing. Uh, one of the more current things, too, is we've been allowed in the police academy. They're training around 200 police at a time, and they're also um, going through, um, some of them have to go there and kind of get reevaluated. And we're allowed to come in for a half an hour every Friday and teach whatever we want to teach. We always teach the Word of God and what God's calling is. For them in leadership, they're called to a higher standard. And they're listening. And so things are changing. Wattis went from 8 to 10 people a day being murdered two years ago to 0 to 1 being murdered today. Yet it still is happening. This last couple of weeks you've heard some things that have happened and, and it's been real tough. We'd ask you to pray for the one family that you heard a lady was murdered. Well, um, she was a lady cop. She was four months pregnant. And her children were standing there when she was murdered. So please pray for them and pray for the open doors for us to be able to share with that family and be there. Uh, pray for our wisdom, for knowing how to counsel through grief and through post-traumatic stress and the different things that they deal with because we are in a battlefield. And please remember to lift up your missionaries and those that are over there working in Juarez. You see, oftentimes when things get tough, people run. But us as Christians, we stand firm. We dig our feet in, and we stay, and we do what God has taught us to do. And that's what we're teaching these men in this program to do. So thank you so much for praying for us. If you'd like to hear more, if you would like to be on our mailing list, if you'd like to get a little bit more information, we're out at the table back there. Thanks. Most of us know that we, we don't have that particular calling. Unless the Lord does call you into missionary work, or missionary evangelism of any kind. What we do have is prayer. What we do and should do always and can do is to pray for them. And uh, so the important thing is to see how much prayer has affected what is today. It is by the work of God. It is by His hand. And it's not an easy thing, and that's why we have to continue to pray for all of our missionaries. But I encourage you to go out and meet Nolan and Marie today, if you haven't already. I know many of you have. And I know many of you are already praying, and some of you are already on their, prayer, on their uh, email list and all, and that's, that's wonderful. And, and if you haven't, uh, get involved. Get involved in praying. And there's nothing that says that you can't add them to your prayer list. Because prayer lists aren't, aren't measured by how many things that you pray for every day. It's just that when you hear the need, then you pray. And God is doing great things. So I encourage you to do that. To keep them in your prayers. And uh, <clears throat> pray as well for what is going on here. Uh, Marie said something very interesting about taking a stand when all others may run away. When you consider law enforcement... Uh, and and uh, first responders of any kind anywhere. When everybody's running away from the tragedy, they're running into it. And there's, there's, there's quite an analogy there for believers in Jesus Christ that, you know, we don't run away from anything. We run into it by praying, by praying or by being there physically. So wherever it is that God has called you, it may not be there, but you can pray. And so that's what we... Are encouraging you to do because it is effective and it is something that God is hearing and it is something that they are doing as they hear from the Lord so they need to as, as they ask pray for wisdom pray for their wisdom pray for their guidance through the Holy Spirit to do everything that is necessary and yes there are going to be times when it's very painful so pray for them as well to have the peace of the Lord in the midst of all of those uh, of those trials well, this morning, I'd like to have you turn to Genesis chapter 30. Genesis chapter 30. As we continue looking at the life of Jacob, 
I want to mention that uh, the more we get into the life of Jacob, the more that we see his focus upon his God, upon the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He had that experience in the wilderness at Bethel where he met with God. God showed himself in that dream to Jacob on that stairway where the angels were ascending and descending. And he gave them the blessing of Abraham and the promise of his presence and of his provision. God would be with him and he would have everything that he needed. He goes on to Haran, he meets Rachel, he wants Rachel to be his wife, and he faces, of course, the struggles of his doings from the past. He's beginning to reap what he has sown, but even in that he was learning. God was teaching him, and God was showing himself to be with Jacob. And now he has spent 14 years with Laban, his father-in-law, after having already been deceived into marrying first Leah and then a week later Rachel. He spent seven years and then another seven years, now 14 years. And as we saw last time, he had that desire to go home. We focus our attention upon that. And, and we, we, we brought that type to, to us today that we, we are here today not living where we can call home because as believers our home isn't here our home is in heaven with the Lord and actually if we're looking for heaven we're actually looking for the Lord to be with him forever so with that in mind I want to go back to that verse 25 and just start there and reading and 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 getting on into the into a couple of other signs that Jacob was indeed serving the living God rather than serving idols like his family was doing We're told in verse 25, And it came to pass when Rachel had borne Joseph, that Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own place and to my country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you. And let me go, for you know my service which I have done for you. And Laban said to him, Please stay if I have found favor in your eyes, for I have learned by experience And if you remember last time, the word experience there was actually uh, divination. I have learned by some kind of superstitious and idolatrous act, as it were, that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. And then he said, name me your wages and I will give it. So again, in review, Jacob faced a real problem with his wife, Rachel, and his in-laws, in particular his father-in-law. And that is that they were still inclined to worshiping idols. Laban was an idol worshiper, even though he knew about the God of Abraham. Rachel was an idol worshiper, even though she knew the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or at least knew about him. And that's a major dilemma when you are to be a responsible servant and witness for the one true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To have all of your family around you not worshiping the Lord, but worshiping other things. More and more, we've seen Jacob accepting his role now as a servant and a witness for his God and his Savior, as well as realizing his calling passed down to him through the promises given by God to Abraham. He's seen more and more what his calling is. Now he's close to 90 years old. So age doesn't matter. The longer you live, the more you need to know that God has something for you to do. I mentioned last time that in spite of his many significant faults, Jacob was resolved to serve the Lord despite having married into a family of idolaters. And while we could look at Rachel and her father Laban and see the signs that they were serving idols instead of serving the living God, in Jacob we see the very opposite. In Jacob we see the signs that he served the living God rather than the idols that were all about him. 
And as we said last time, it is very much like us today. We as believers in Jesus Christ live in a world, live in a community or in a, in a culture where there are many idols still around us today. And it becomes very difficult for us to live for the Lord Jesus Christ, but we must take that stand if we know it. And we must continue to build on that personal relationship that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ. It isn't something that we should take for granted. It isn't something that we should take advantage of. We should get every day to know the Lord Jesus Christ more and more, to know Him better and better. So last week we just on the, on, on the very first of those signs that we saw in Jacob that he was serving the living God rather than serving idols, and that was that he was dissatisfied with the world. There was a dissatisfaction that he had in his heart toward the world. Now, we see in typology that Laban and his household and all is a type of the world. And he gets there 14 years and he serves Laban, his father-in-law, but then he says, listen, I, I just I want to go home now. I have served my 14 years. I'm dissatisfied. And, and that should be a, a good example for us who are living in this world today. We know that the Lord, is, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming soon. And, and we need to do everything we can to continue to build on our relationship to the Lord. But knowing that He's coming soon, what does that tell us? It tells us that we are not of this world. We have a better home. It's a city that is not made by human hands. Whose foundation and whose builder is God. Jacob desired to go home. He missed his home. He missed his homeland. He missed the land of Canaan, which was the promised land of God, by the way. And he wanted to return to his own family and his own people. He wanted the kinship, in other words, the fellowship with his own family. He wanted the loyalty and the security and the protection. He wanted the sense of belonging and all the other benefits that his home and his homeland could give him. He wasn't home in Haran. But greater still was the desire to get out from under the bondage of Laban, again in type, the bondage of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we can say that because of the idol worship that was all around Jacob. And as we focused on last week, even beyond all this, is the matter of longing for heaven and to be in the very presence of our God. What was it that God had promised to Jacob? The very blessing of Abraham. So what God had promised to Jacob was, was something that was more than material. It was something that was more than land. It was something that was more than possessions on this earth. It was something beyond that. It was heaven itself. It was the very presence of God forever, eternally. It was to some degree saying to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to all three, this is just the beginning. Because even after you die, you will live. And you'll live with me forever. Abraham was seeking a city whose builder and maker was God. Isaac was seeking a city whose builder and maker was God, Jacob was seeking a city whose builder and maker is God. And it was his and our deep spiritual longing. It was his and it is ours today. A deep spiritual longing for home. It is said of David in 2 Samuel 23 verse 15. It's, it says, David said with longing. Now I bring this verse up just for that statement. David said with longing in his heart. Oh, that someone would give me a drink of the water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. He obviously isn't in Bethlehem. He isn't home. He isn't near home. He's on the run. He's away from home. And he says, oh, that I could just get a drink of Bethlehem water. 
And that should be the longing of every believer in Jesus Christ. Oh, that I could just get a drink of the rivers of life that flow from the temple of God in heaven. Is that your longing? Is that your longing today? We should be longing for the taste of home. Oh, listen, we get all kinds of flavors and tastes in this world, don't we? All kinds of stuff. But can never compare to the taste of home, the taste of heaven, the taste of the things of God that are eternal. You're looking at me like you don't want to give up hot dogs and hamburgers and stuff like that. (laughs) Folks, you need to long for home. We should be longing for home and for the taste of home. And this world, by the way, is not our home any longer. That was a point we were making last time. The second sign, now let's get on here, that uh, Jacob was serving the living God rather than the world was this. He was disinterested in wealth. He was disinterested in wealth. Let's, let's look at verses 26 through 28. Give me, he says, give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you and let me go. For you know my service which I have done for you. And Laban said to him, please stay. Now wait a minute. Stop here for just a moment and think. Here's Laban, his father-in-law, who has 14 years previous to this, tells Jacob, well, what do you want? I want to marry your, your daughter, Rachel. Okay, let's have a wedding feast. And then, of course, he deceives him and sends Leah into that dark tent. He marries Leah because, of course, the law around here says, well, you you can't uh, marry the younger before the the older is married, so now you have to marry Leah. But, you know, then you can have Rachel later. So he was deceived, right? You reap what you sow, and Jacob was a deceiver, and so he got his oats there. But anyway, here's the thing. Here he is again, 14 years later, and Laban says to him, Oh, please stay. If I have found favor in your eyes, for I have learned by experience, uh, not the kind of experience you really want to learn by, but I've learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Now, would you believe this guy? Would you believe him? Of course not. Didn't believe it. You should have. You wanted to believe him before, but now, you know. And then he said, Name me your wages and I will give it. Well, I already did. I gave it to you a long time ago, 14 years ago. Now you're telling me, Name my wages again. Laban was really enjoying the fact that he was being blessed by Jacob being around because God was blessing Jacob and because Jacob was serving Laban, Laban was being blessed. He doesn't want to let him go. See, he doesn't want to seek the God of, of Jacob. He just wants the benefits of the God of Jacob. Because he's getting him. And if Jacob leaves, he won't have him anymore. So, as I said last time, we need to use the proper definition and the use of the word disinterested here. That he is disinterested in wealth. Simply, to be disinterested means to be unbiased and not influenced by self-interest. Doesn't mean that he wasn't interested or... Un, or, that, or that he was uncaring about wealth. It, it wasn't that he was wanting wealth. It's just that he just didn't have a, a bias towards it. So it doesn't mean that he was uninterested or uncaring, as some people use the word. Now, this may seem like a contradiction, since Jacob left Laban, a wealthy man, that he would probably be saying, you know, I, I should be now starting to get my own wealth for myself. But it has never been said that Jacob wasn't wealthy. It's just that he was disinterested in wealth. In other words, he never tried to become wealthy. Jacob did not try to become wealthy. At the close of 14 years of service, he was as poor as he was at the beginning. Now remember when he gets to Haran, he doesn't have anything. He left it all in the Beersheba. He left it. He was on the run from Esau. He didn't take anything with him. All he had was his name. All he had was to say, I am the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. 
Oh, we know him. He's our family. And we know he's rich. That was the first thing they cared about when he got to Haran. Oh, we know that you're rich. But he doesn't have anything with him. So he was as poor at the beginning as he was at the end, except for his wives and children. Now he's rich with them. And in that condition of poverty, he was willing to leave for home. He was willing now to leave with nothing except his wives and his children. Just to go home. Which is kind of an interesting thing, because when we leave here, we leave with nothing of this world. We can't take it with us. We can accumulate masses of fortunes in this life, but we can't take it with us. The moment we die, it's no longer ours. In the end, it was the Lord who prospered Jacob as he trusted and obeyed. Do you remember back at Bethel? I mentioned it earlier. Genesis 28 verse 13. It said, Behold, the Lord stood above it and, and said this being the stairway. He was there and then he speaks to Jacob at the top of the stairwell. And he says, Behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. He says, The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Stop and think. Is land wealth? Is land wealth? Yes, there's a lot of wealth here. Because there was a lot of land that was promised to Abraham. He said, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and the east to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The seed, of course, being the seed of Messiah. Has, has Messiah not blessed the whole of the earth? Is not the name of Jesus being proclaimed throughout all of the earth now? Which is one of the signs that says, now that the, the, the name of Jesus has been proclaimed to the earth, the end is going to come. But we still got to get out and proclaim the name of Jesus, yes? Alright, so, in, in you and your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He says, behold, I am with you. You know, that's a wealth in itself. Is God with you today? Then you're wealthy. You are wealthy because you have the Lord with you. I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, which means I will guard you and guide you and protect you and provide for you. I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Now, some commentators say that Jacob delayed following God's will on account of greed. You know, that he stuck around a little bit longer on account of greed. Now, it's my turn now to start making some money here. It's my turn to start getting some wealth, accumulating some prosperity here. No, 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 no. Because what we're saying then, or what people are saying, is that he was coveting the wages that Laban offered him. That's just not true. Because as we read on, we learn that the Lord had told Jacob in a dream that he would prosper him with the colored flocks and the herds. Now we're going to be dealing with that in just a moment. Somewhat. But it's in chapter 31 that we we see this dream has taken place. And so Laban's offer must have seen entirely in the plan of God for Jacob. Let's, let's, let's go back to verse 28. Then he said, name me your wages and I will give it. Now notice what it says. So Jacob said to him, you know I have served you and how your livestock has been with me. For what you had before I came was little. Now Jacob is telling Laban, when I got here, you didn't have a whole lot. You didn't have a whole lot of livestock. You had some. But you, you didn't have a lot. And it has increased to a great amount. But notice what he says. The Lord has blessed you since my coming. Do you see that? What's he doing? He's giving the Lord the credit. It wasn't anything really that Jacob did. It was the fact that the Lord increased Laban's uh, livestock. And now when shall I also provide for my own house? Because that's not saying, when, when, shall I, when shall I start getting my own wealth? No, when shall I provide for my own house? He's not thinking about the wealth as being, trying to accumulate. He's just saying, I just want to take care of my own family now. I want to break from the bondage of, of being under your 
leadership or your household here in, in Haran and go back to my home and have my family grow under my leadership. Do you all understand that? So he said, what shall I give you? This Laban's just always wanting to give somebody. You know, you have to watch out with this guy. So he said, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, notice what he said. You shall not give me anything. You see, he was interested in the wealth. If you will do this thing for me, I will again feed and keep your flocks. Okay, I'll stick around. I'll take care of your flocks if you'll do this thing. He says, let me pass through all your flock today, removing from there all the speckled and spotted sheep and all the brown ones among the lambs and the spotted and the speckled among the goats, and these shall be my wages. Now, now think about that for just a moment, what he's proposing here, because what he's saying is, look, you know, when, when, when you think about it, when, when, the, uh, when the Jews were beginning to offer the sacrifices that God had commanded them to do so in the tabernacle, first of all in the wilderness, and then also at the temple in Jerusalem, when they were to bring uh, these sacrifices of the lambs and the goats and all of that, they were supposed to bring those, those kind of lambs or those kind of offerings that, that were actually spotless, right? They didn't have any blemishes on them. So it was considered then that the spotted and the speckled and all of that were just somewhat a little bit more inferior than, than the other ones. And, and, and so he says, let, let me go through all of those and these shall be my wages. Again, if you had the white uh, sheep and the black goats uh, that were pure in that, in that particular sense, that said that these were the ones that had the dominant genes... Therefore, you know, that normally you would actually then from that continue to, to grow uh, uh, the same kind of, of, uh, of animal. But then he says this, So my righteousness will answer for me in time to come when the subject of my wages comes before you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. In other words, if I happen to have one of those pure white lambs or pure black goats, uh, they would be almost as if I had stolen them, but they're yours. So what does Laban do? He says, oh, that it were according to your word. Okay, we're going to agree. Now, something that we need to add here. He was not only dissatisfied with the world, and he not only was disinterested in wealth, but Jacob was also devoted to work. Jacob was also devoted to work. And, and we, need to, we need to put this in here, because this is quite an important thing for us to understand about Jacob, but also something that we need to discover about ourselves. Because Jacob's faith had grown over these 14 years with Laban, and not because Laban had taught him these things, but the Lord did. Jacob's faith was growing not because of of Laban, his, his faith was growing because of the Lord. And the things that he was learning, and the things that he was doing. And remember that Laban was, I mean, I should say Jacob was not a young man, he was an older man. He was 77 when he got to, when he got to Haran. No, he's about 90. So first of all, Jacob worked hard. He worked hard in his service for Laban. He, he could have just done a half-hearted job. He, he, I mean, let's face it, he was married to Rachel now, so why work so hard? He had really what he wanted, right? He wanted Rachel, so now he's got Rachel. So why should he work so hard? And yet we know that he did. He worked very hard. That was his ethic, his work, his work ethic. So he was working hard. He was doing his best for Laban because that was what he promised to do. Folks, that is such an important thing for us to remember. If we promise to do something for someone, we will do it with all of our heart, to the best of our abilities, to get it done. You all understand that? So having good work ethics, working hard, doing your best, finishing the work that you promised to do and doing it well, that should be a characteristic of a person who is walking with the Lord. I notice I said it should be. It should be. Now granted, there are people who are unbelievers today who have that kind of a work ethic. 
But every believer in Jesus Christ should have that work ethic in his life. And it should be seen in his life. Because tragically today, many Christians have poor work ethics. Some are lazy. Some don't want to, uh, to do what they say they're going to do. And, and we could go on and on with that, that kind of list. I'm not trying to condemn anyone. It's just the way it is. You know that most cities today have uh, Christian yellow pages that advertise Christians who do all kinds of work. And yet some people refuse to use them and would rather use unsaved people because they do a better job. That's, that's not a good testimony, is it? It's not a good testimony for believers. Is that sad? It should not be so. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth this exhortation. It's kind of long, but I think we need to see it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul said, But we command you, speaking to the church, he says, Brethren, but we command you, speaking of, as, a, as, a, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, he says, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. Now, we need to understand what he means by disorderly when we get to the context of what he's talking about. So sometimes we think of disorderly conduct as being drunkards, and, and certainly that is disorderly, or being all kinds of other things that Christians ought not to be. Uh, so we have to kind of think, what is, he, what, what is he leading to? So he goes on and he says, For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you. So there's the word again. So what is he getting to? How is it that they were not disorderly? He says, Nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge. Oh, okay, now we're kind of getting an idea of the context of what he says. He says, Nor do, did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. Now we're getting a focus upon the context of what he was saying is either orderly or disorderly. And he says, not because we do not have authority of, as an apostle, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. I mean, if we're going to be among your, among your midst and we're going to do all of this work uh, so that you don't have to you know, worry about uh, you know, the, the financial gain of, of anyone, we're not here to be charlatans or whatever, he says, then you, know, then you should follow our example. So he says, for even when we were with you, we commanded you this. Now take note of this verse. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Now, underline that in your Bibles if you haven't underlined it already. I don't see you underlining. I must mean that you already got it underlined, okay? I'm going to trust you in that. He says, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. That is, first of all, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's a statement inspired by the Holy Spirit. Paul gives it to the church, and so he's giving it to us. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner. Now there it is. So now we have the context of what he's talking about. Some of you are walking in a disorderly manner, not working at all. But you're busybodies. Earlier on he said something about eating bread that was free of charge. We call that freeloading. How many of you remember? See, I'm going to really date some of you now. How many of you remember Red Skelton doing Freddy the Freeloader? Uh-huh, all the old guys. All right, so, see, we understand what it means to be a freeloader. But also, busybodies. They take advantage of other people, and they get in, you know, and, and, and just do their best to try to take as much as they can for themselves. They, then they start getting involved in other people's business, and that's not good. So now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. So he's exhorting the, the busybody freeloader. And he says, now you get to work in yourself and do it quietly and do it humbly. And then eat your own bread. Now folks, I understand at this point. I understand that there are people that are having hard times and we're here to help. That's why we have our food pantry. We try to help people that are going through tough times. And we're, you know, we don't ask a lot of questions. We just want to make sure that you have what you need. But a lot of that, you know, it, it is kind of implied that we're saying, okay, here, we're going to help you with this and we're going to pray with you so that now, you know, you, know you, can, you can seek the Lord and see what God is going to do to help you now continue on doing this rather than come every week to say, well, here I am for the next installment, you see. Now, we'll give until we realize that, you know, things are going to get better for you. So, we're, you know, we don't want to judge, but at the same time, we want to be true to what God is saying. 
is that we're going to hear, we're going to be here to help you. But folks, eventually you got to eat your own bread. Y'all understand now? Okay. But as for you, speaking to the brethren who he's writing to, do not grow weary in doing good. See, that's the thing. We don't want to grow weary in doing good. We say, oh boy, here we go again. You're hungry here. Here's some food. Yeah. See, that's not the attitude we should have. We don't want to grow weary in doing good. Keep doing good. God, God will reveal in our hearts what we need to say to those that need to kind of get themselves on the right track. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person, do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed. There are two things happen there. This is not to try to, you know, say, hey, we don't want to ever see you again. Don't keep company with those because then you might become like them. See, that's, that's number one problem. They, become, they can become very influential. At the same time, there's a, there's a shame that says, you know what, maybe I better... You know, the idea of the shame part is to say, you know, maybe I better get myself right. I mean, where did everybody go? You know, they're, they're trying to teach me a lesson. No, the Lord is trying to teach you a lesson. God gave you the wisdom and strength to do things. You know, if, he, if you don't have that, we understand. And we'll help as much as we can. So, so we see the, the heart of compassion. And we see the heart of discernment. And it's all about this issue of work. And yet, do not count him as an enemy, see? But admonish him as a brother. It's okay to admonish as, as a brother those that are going through this kind of, of attitude or showing this kind of attitude. So, so Paul is showing us what we are to do as we serve the Lord, and that is any work that we do. We, we don't serve our boss as much as we are serving the Lord first. Now, you do have uh, superiors over you, whether uh, uh, managers or, or whatever. Yeah, I mean, you know, the Bible says that we need to honor our, our, our masters, as it were. But we, but we need to remember that we're serving the Lord first. No matter what job we have, we serve the Lord first. But then you need to give a good witness by being a good servant to your masters. So secondly... Uh, Jacob's faith was growing in that he didn't take credit for the work uh, he did, but he gave glory to the Lord who had blessed the work. We've seen that already in the, in the text. The one, who enable him, the one who enables him to do all of these things. He's giving the credit to the Lord. And again, this is important for us to understand. Not only are we to work hard in what we do, but we also need to give the glory to God. We are to give him the credit for what is done, not only for enabling us to do the work, but... He has blessed the work of our hands. That God will bless the work of your hands each and every day. Give Him the credit. Give Him the glory. Jesus said in Matthew 5.16, He said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, to understand this rightly, consider that He says, Let your light so shine before men. We know that Jesus is the light of the world, but we also know that in this passage, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You who are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the light in you. So you are the light of the world. He says, so let your light shine before men. Let it shine before men that they may see your good works. All the things that you do, you give the glory to him, not to yourself. They're his works, and that's why it says that they may see your good works and glorify. You glorify your Father in heaven. Doesn't that make a lot of sense? It makes a whole lot of sense. If we understand that whatever work we're doing is not the work we do other than the fact that we are now the servants of the Lord and we're doing it as unto Him and not to anyone else and so that they need to see that we glorify our Father in heaven. There are too many people today, even in the church, you know, that, that uh, use this false humility, go around and say, oh yeah, you know, it's the Lord, it's the Lord, it's the Lord. But they, they do things outlandishly on, on their stages and, and you know, in their, in their services. And, and, and you know that they're the ones getting all the attention. No, 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 we need to give the attention and all the glory to the Lord. If we just stood still, if we truly believe that God can heal, then we can just sit there and let God heal somebody. And trust that He can heal. Rather than do all kinds of things. Shaking and throwing, you know, hitting them on the head, kicking them, whatever. Can't the Lord just heal? 
Do you remember how Jesus healed the centurion's, you know, family? So say the word and, they, and that person will be healed. Let your light so shine. They may see your good works and glorify your Father. Paul adds this. He says, do all things without complaining and disputing. Uh-oh. Is that underlined in your Bibles? It needs to be. This is one of the problems we have. We're just too many. We just made up of too many complainers around this, without, you know, in the church. We complain about all kinds of things. I bet you right now you're complaining about something. I bet you're complaining about something in your mind. Too cold in here. I'm sorry. It's just to keep you awake, really. (laughs) Do all things. Notice it doesn't say do some things. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Do all things. (laughs) I don't like that verse. See, you're complaining. Holy Spirit. That you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Do you think we're living in a crooked and perverse generation? Good, then stop complaining and disputing. Because he says, among whom you shine as lights in the world. You're not going to shine if all you're doing is complaining and disputing. But holding fast the word. Are you guys holding fast the word of life? Holding fast the word of life. You see, the work that we do should be like beacons of light that shine upon the Lord and illuminates Him and not us. A spotlight. You all know what a spotlights are. A spotlight does not exist to shine its light upon itself, but upon the object that it is to illuminate. That which we want everyone to see. Who do we want everyone to see? Jesus. We want everyone to see Jesus. The spotlight does not shine on itself. Give God the glory. Give Jesus the glory. Okay, let's consider now the plan that Jacob is offering here. We've got to get back to our text. Let's consider the plan that Jacob offers. It is a plan that by human perspective may seem very foolish. And it might even seem, because a lot of people think, you know, Jacob is really trying to scheme Laban here. You've probably even heard some preachers say that. But again... We need to see Jacob trusting the Lord, knowing that against all odds, God will bless his work. And Jacob will not get the credit. The Lord will get the credit. And again, we we do need to get to chapter 31 to see some of that as well. But before that, we just need to see the offer. So here's the offer that Jacob makes. Jacob would take all the speckled, spotted, and brown lambs, while Laban would take the more common white or solid-colored solid colored lambs. Jacob would also take all the spotted and speckled goats and Laban would keep the more common brown and black goats. You see, Laban would keep the livestock that had that dominant gene which would assure him of prosperity while Jacob would not. At least, that is the rationale here. And Jacob laid it all out that when it was time for him to get paid for his labor, he would keep those animals that are speckled and spotted or brown, and Laban would get the rest. And so Laban's response to Jacob's offer was, Oh, that it were according to your word. So both parties actually agreed to this deal. And it was a surefire way of distinguishing between the flocks of Laban and the flocks of Jacob. But Laban liked the deal more likely because the odds were stacked in his favor. But consider, if you will, that Jacob proposed this offer in this manner because he was willing to trust the Lord. Jacob was willing to trust the Lord. Go to verses 35 and 36 now of our text. It says, so he removed that day. The male goats that were speckled and spotted, all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had some white in it and all the brown ones among the lambs and gave them into the hands of his sons. Into the hands, by the way, of the sons of Laban. Just so you'll understand the text here. And then he put three days journey between himself and Jacob. So the context, the grammatical context is there was Laban that took all of those 
lambs that belonged to Jacob and gave them to his own sons. And then he had them go three days journey in opposite directions between himself and Jacob. And Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. So you see, he's trying to prevent any kind of weirdness here, you know, okay. I'll, we'll take care of his flocks, he'll take care of ours. If it was the other way around, we'd, you know, he'd probably scheme something. That's, that was Laban's thought. But, you know, you have to think that Jacob thought of the same with Laban because they were both schemers for a time. But here's the interesting thing. Laban knew that God blessed the work of Jacob, so he had Jacob care for his livestock. Do you see the point in, in saying, okay, you take my livestock. Why? Because he saw how God blessed Jacob. So he says, you take my livestock and those animals that were solid in color. And not only that, but Laban's sons would take care of the spotted speckled sheep and goes for Jacob to ensure that there would be no mixing of these animals giving Jacob the advantage. So that's his scheming, Laban at least in all of this, so that he says, I don't want to give Jacob an advantage. So you go three days that way, we'll go three days this way. In fact, you know, putting that three days journey between the flocks that Jacob was overseeing and the ones that Laban's sons were overseeing. So, so Jacob was, was carrying for Laban solid colored animals and any spotted or speckled ones that were born. They would belong to Jacob. If, if any came out that were speckled and spotted, they would belong to Jacob. Could that be possible if he only had the, the solid colored? Yes, it would be possible. But keep that in mind. There certainly was some distrust again on the part of Laban and his sons with Jacob. Let's go on now. So Jacob took for himself rods of green poplar and of the almond and chestnut trees, peeled white strips in them and exposed the white which was in the rods and the rods which he had peeled. He set before the flocks in the gutters in the watering troughs where, where the flocks came to drink so that they should conceive when they came to drink. Stop and think for just a moment. This, was, this sounds very similar to what had happened with the mandrakes that, that Leah wanted to, to or that Reuben, uh, the son of Leah, wanted to give to Leah. Uh, because remember, Leah was, was not conceiving any longer after she had given birth to the four sons. And so Reuben brings her these, these uh, mandrakes because we said that uh, mandrakes were considered to be an aphrodisiac as well as something that could stimulate uh, a, a woman who was, who was barren to, to have children. Uh, but we know that it wasn't the mandrakes that brought, that brought uh, uh, both Rachel and Leah uh, to have their, their wombs open. We know it was God. It wasn't the mandrakes. It was God. Because the Bible says that the Lord opened Rachel's womb. And so in the same way, do these rods actually be, are they the reason why these lambs and sheep and goats are all going to conceive? Because by the way, the, the way, uh, by the way, the word conceive there in the Hebrew means that uh, they would bring the animals to heat, which is their, their way of, you know, being ready to, to conceive. So... Uh, they think that, uh, some people think that there was a stimulant in these particular uh, uh, branches and stuff. That once they peeled it back, that uh, the stimulant would be put into the water and the, they would drink the water. And then that stimulant would help them to, you know, come to heat, uh, as it were. So, let's go on. It says, so the flocks conceived before the rods and the flocks brought forth streaks, speckled and spotted. Now, who's going to benefit from that? Jacob. Did Jacob do that? No. Was it the, the rods? No. It was the Lord. Again, we'll see that in chapter 31. But, but the fact is we know that that's what it is. And then Jacob separated the lambs, made the flocks face toward the streaked and all the brown and all the flock of Laban. But he put his own flocks by themselves and did not put them with Laban's flock. It uh, gives us a little bit of an indication that Laban's not out, uh, uh, Jacob's not out there to, you know, to, to, to scheme here against Laban. But it's interesting that he would have them face toward the streak and all the brown in the flock. Because there was an idea back then as well, that if you put the animals looking at the, the certain colored, the various colored animals, that all they had to do was look at that and eventually they would conceive what they saw. Uh, but, you know, we know that that's not the case. 
But that's what they did, I guess, in those days. So, so then it says, and it came to pass whenever the stronger livestock conceived. Now, this makes a difference here for those of you who understand, you know, animal uh, genetics and all. But it came to pass whenever the stronger livestock conceived that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters that they might conceive among the rods. But when the flocks were feeble, he did not put them in. So the feebler were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Uh, and thus the man became, speaking of, of Jacob, the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, female and male servants, and also camels and, and, and donkeys. So, wow, there, that's a lot to say. <laughs> Many explanations here have been given to account for Jacob's breeding practices. On a scientific level, it may be that Jacob, a lifelong shepherd, had learned something about these animals and these branches that we still do not fully understand. But whether or not that proves true, Jacob clearly knew something of genetics and selective breeding, though he couldn't explain it in those terms. Quite simply, and I've already referred to it, quite simply, Jacob mated the strong with the strong. And that's a proven scientific method of breeding. But what is more significant is that Jacob put his trust in the Lord for his prosperity. Jacob put his trust in the Lord for his prosperity. Jacob was trusting in God to honor his hard work, trusting God to bless him and give him whatever prosperity God wanted him to have. And this God did. And just how miraculously God worked for Jacob is seen in the fact that Laban, later on, Laban changed the term of the agreement ten times trying to cheat Jacob. We're going to see that in Genesis 31. So there is a great lesson in this for us. And the lesson is that God can and will many times overrule the affairs of men. He does it to bring about His purpose and to fulfill His promises to us. And God looks after us even when others abuse us and cheat us. God will look after His own. And I think we've all been there one way or another. Some sort of abuse has come our way. Some kind of cheating has been tried on us. And you know what? God will take care of us. God was taking care of Jacob. Jacob was beginning to trust God more and more. Jacob was beginning to look to the Lord and give God more of the credit every time we see him now. Is he human? Yes, he's still human. Is he like us? We're like him many times. But God is faithful. God is faithful. I want to close with these, with these particular verses of Scripture. First of all, Psalm 37, verse 3. First of all, we've got to work hard, don't we? We've got to be a good example of a diligent servant of the Lord. Whatever we do. But what we need to do more than anything is to trust in the Lord and do good. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. What does that remind us of? The very fact that whatever prosperity we have, we have because God has given it to us. And if we are His, we have everything that we need. So we can trust the Lord. Dwell in the land means we dwell in the, in the midst of the prosperity that God will provide for us. And we can feed on His faithfulness because God is faithful. If you look at verse 5, it says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him and He shall bring it to pass. Now, bringing it to pass may not be when we want it. It'll be when He knows it's best for us. Sometimes it happens immediately and sometimes... We have to wait a little bit because they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We can wait upon the Lord, can't we? Because we know He's faithful. But God can be trusted. We can commit our whole life to the Lord. Jesus Himself said in Matthew 6.33, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. All the things that we think that we, we, can, we have to worry about. There's nothing that we have to worry about, Jesus said. All that worry and anxiety is not going to give you an extra inch of stature. Trust in the Lord. 
Seek first the kingdom of God, which means literally seek first the reign of God in your life and seek his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. You're not going to lack a thing if you seek the Lord first. And then lastly, Paul says this. He says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. We sometimes think, oh, God is so great. He gave me this or that. And yeah, he did. But he can do above all of that. He can do above all of that. He says, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. It's the power that works in us. To Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Be dissatisfied with this world. The world has nothing that it can give us that's eternal. Jesus has already given us everything we need for life and godliness eternally. He's given us eternal life. Everlasting life. Be disinterested in wealth. God will provide everything that you need. You don't have to consider that you have to be wealthier than anybody else. God prospers us sometimes more than we are able to contain. And then be devoted to work because your work is a witness. Your work is a witness to the world. And your trust in the Lord will be seen. And your glorifying of our Father in heaven that what has happened has not been purely and simply your work. It is the work that God has done through you. As we've seen in the life of Jacob, and we'll build upon that when we get into chapter 31. A lot to learn in 31, chapter 31. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's give thanks to the Lord.